The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. Because they go into Aslan's territory, into his home. His territory? <laughs> what, has, he his been, has he been peeing all they over go, it? <laughs> they go into his turf. I believe the correct pronunciation would be Aslan's land. Aslan's <laughs> land. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it, like, it's a section in Ikea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the worst part about all of this is that we did a little Facebook Live video to prep for this podcast, and then I shut off the video, and then things got really crazy and weird. And then we got and excited. And now it's time to actually record the episode. Anyway, welcome everybody to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig Hanks, and I am your host. And over there, he's a lot like Turkish Delight. It sounds great until you get him in your mouth. It's Todd Wenty. There is nothing that I can say to top that, leaving it alone. Oh my... <laughs> uh, he's more annoying than Eustace and less gallant than, well, Eustace. It's Ken Johnson. Did you see C.S. Lewis's um, endorsement of us? They are very stupid, but there is no real harm in them. <laughs> I thought, that's us. And his hair is bigger than Reepicheep's ego. It's Ryan Bruckman. Yeah, and if you try and hold me upside down, I'm going to stab you with my little rapier, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so welcome, everybody. Today, we're talking The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. This is, for us, number five in the Narnia series, five of seven, getting remarkably close uh, to the finish line here. So before we move on to the Dawn Treader, uh, let's do just a little bit of housekeeping. We've already brought up Patreon at the top of the episode, so I'll just mention Reddit again, of course. The legendarium.reddit.com is where you can go and join the conversation, and we much appreciate everybody who does. Um, there is a lot to uh, there's a lot to unpack with the Narnia stuff, and so we really really appreciate everybody's help in doing that. I know we don't and won't get to everything during the episodes. So join us there. Uh, as far as other housekeeping, um, yeah. I'll, uh, well, no, I guess I'll just also mention that uh, I I have all of the items necessary now. I've been waiting for like two weeks, and all of the $5 patrons um, gift bag items are finally here. So those will be going out very, very soon. Uh, look forward to that. Uh, okay, so... Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I'll do a little intro first, and then we can dive right in. This is the quickest intro I think we've done in a long, long time. Uh, we you, we wasted all of our good energy. I was going to say, are you are you tired of writing intros for these? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I'll be all right. I didn't actually finish this one, so uh, it'll be an adventure at the end. Uh, the The story of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader is pretty much that. There's a ship called the Dawn Treader, and it voyages. The difficulty in describing this story comes in the fact that it's really actually five or so stories all crammed together, but I'll come back to that. In this installment of the Narnia series, Edmund and Lucy are joined in Narnia by their pill of a cousin, Eustace. He's a complainer, a know-it-all, and a nuisance, and it takes uh, turning into a dragon, then being turned back again by none other than Aslan, for him to begin mending his ways. But while the story of Eustace is easily the most memorable, there are other things that happen too, like being threatened with death by a band of invisible hopping mushrooms. Makes me wonder what Lewis was up to at the time. Eating dinner with three Rip Van Winkles and sailing to the end of the world, which, as it turns out, is covered with lilies, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, that is the end of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, I, we, we use this, the word story here loosely, but let's discuss. So... Here's the thing about this one. Uh, I, I kind of poked a little bit of fun at Prince Caspian last time when I mentioned like the story doesn't really get going for and, until you're 50 or 60% through with the book and then the story begins. Uh, you know, And in this one, the story never actually begins. This is much more of a, a travelogue or something. It reminded me a lot, Todd, of when we read 20,000 Leagues Yes, uh, for... Uh, heroes of sci-fi yep a couple uh, years so ago here are uh, 20,000 leagues you think okay so it's the story of a submarine and like all these these uh, people going around the world well yeah it is except that it's 18,000 stories all yeah. just kind of bound together it's it's a travelogue and this this is very similar right little vignettes that are 
it, it this one feels more to me like um like Grimm's fairy tales. It's it's a collection of of moral stories that are thrown together. The thing that makes them similar is that they have the same characters running through them. But other than that, each one could be its own standalone fairy tale bedtime story. I'm going to tell you now. I'm now going to tell you the story of how they found the island where every whatever and whatever. Are you you're, so you're not a fan of this then? I, I didn't I didn't enjoy this one as much as I've enjoyed some of the others. What about you, Ken? No, very much not. And um, okay, that was that that that's maybe a little bit of overselling it. I I, I had a hard time with all of the. Now we're going here, and now we're going here, and now and it didn't feel like it didn't feel like the story was going anywhere except for the end of the world eventually you know but the getting there didn't feel like anything it just kind of felt like yeah we're travel logging ryan to what purpose like I, I have very similar feelings where i was sitting here going okay we're going back to narnia we've got you know we've got these the two uh, two from the previous prince caspian coming along and we've got eustace now what is what is the purpose of this journey? What are we supposed to? What is he trying to teach? What is he trying to learn? And it really it felt like we're going to stop by these different islands, and each one is kind of its own virtue or whatever that you're going to have to deal with. Uh, see, that I didn't. Was, I, I did felt... not have a problem with this. I I, I agree. If you want to say that it uh, now by just by page count or word count, yes, this is the longest Narnia book so far, mm -hmm. but. Uh, you could also just say it feels the longest, yeah. right? Just yeah. it seems like it just keeps going, and I understand that. I get that, but at the same time, it's if you are invested in Narnia, if you really enjoy the characters, if you like Lucy and Edmund, if you enjoy Aslan and all that kind of thing, then at a certain point, it just becomes a pleasure to go along with them. I'll buy that. Uh, and so I, I was kind of in that boat, so to speak. I, I guess I will agree with you on that. I did like. Edmund, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. The boat. I, I did like Edmund and Lucy. I expected more, and this is probably just, you know, expectation going in. I expected more about Eustace because... That was uh, that was something that I was not ready for because, you know, I'd read this book when I was younger. Yeah. And now I'm reading it again. And I, I the only thing I remember, if, if you had asked me before we started this Narnia series, I said, what do you remember about Narnia? I could give you almost the entire story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I could tell you the story of Eustace as a dragon, and that's about it. Sure, right. Uh, but that scene always stuck really clearly in my mind. But then I thought, okay, so then there will be some more like Eustace moralizing stuff to, uh, further on in the book. But no, right. we're but pretty much done with him at that yeah, point. Yeah, he's done, and I thought well, that just feels like a waste of introducing him. And I, and I get that C.S. Lewis wasn't going for grand sweeping epics where you introduce a character and that character goes off and does great things or, or anything like that. It's a story for kids, as we've said plenty of times, but it's, I just, I, I, I expected something more from him. It felt very much like it was, uh, that Eustace was introduced because he was the perfect example of how to introduce this, this theme of how to overcome selfishness. Yes. All the rest of these stories deal with, and, and Ryan, I like the way that you talked about each island has its virtue. It felt very much like it was a, a description of the seven deadly sins mm -hmm. um, that we that we struggle with uh, that that they're that they're moving through. And, and heaven forbid we jump to the allegory part at this, at this early. Um, but Eustace has a Eustace has his, his is a is a device a character tell a, a character for telling that story. And then when that's done, he's he's done in the same way that the islands are done. They move away from the islands and we're finished. Um, but you have to introduce Eustace in order to have that piece of the story be that clear. And again, if it's a children's book, you're trying to moralize for children, you're trying to tell tales that will help children be better children, what better tale to tell than how if you're a horrible person, you turn into a dragon, and the only thing that's going to save you is Aslan's grace. I thought it was funny that his name, Eustace Scrub, rhymed with useless scrub, like yeah. He's a, he, like he's yeah. a use, useless child, and I don't know if I read too much into that, or if that was by design. But no, I think it was by that's, design. That's exactly what he was. This is the embodiment of everything that a bad child is, well, and is... you children should not be like Eustace until he comes around, and then you know. I, I liked the line. It's one of the in the first sections where he says, the, "There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's a great line. I like that. <laughs> Ever met someone whose name that. you're like, "Yeah, you deserve that name." <laughs> um, I, it reading this just makes you think, what is it about British authors? You know, two generations ago, three generations ago, um, 
they were just horrible to children. You know, they, they kind of, they say, if you are a mean child, I am going to, you know, do this to you in my book. Um, I keep thinking of Roald Dahl. If you read, if you go, like, it's probably been a while for most of us, but if you go back and read a Roald Dahl book, he is awful to his bad children. Charlie yes. and like, the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a freaking horror story. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> he puts these kids through a lot. Anyway, sorry. That's and so a, much fun. That's a, it's oh, it a is. side tangent, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> a side tangent, a that bit of a redundancy. <laughs> Welcome to the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, um, let's before we get to all of the allegorical implications of each individual island let's let's actually you know what no let's talk about the allegorical implications as we move from island to island um so the story begins uh well quite frankly it just begins the kids are all sitting in a room lucy edmund and eustace and then they're sucked into a painting and then they're hauled aboard the dawn treader uh, which is being manned by Prince, or now King Caspian. King Caspian. Which, by the way, makes this feel like the first proper uh, uh, sequel in the series. Yeah. Because we have Caspian and Reepicheep back from uh, the previous book. So anyway, so now the, the band is back together, and they are on a voyage. And he says he, he says they have some sort of quest. I'm going to find these old guys. Um, but that's about all we're given. And then they arrive at the first island. What's the first <laughs> island they come to? The first island is the Slavery Island. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Todd, tell me what happens at the Slavery Island. So the Slavery Island, they land. They 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 propose that they'll go that they'll go ashore and they'll see what they can discover. And shortly after going ashore, they uh, they find some some swarthy looking characters. Are and so, I don't think you know what swarthy means. <laughs> That, Prob- that they, means dark skinned. Yes. Okay. Um <laughs> Heavily tan, swarthy looking sure, cra- characters. Well, aren't and, they uh, Calum? No. Are they Kellerman? No, they're selling to the Kellerman. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they they immediately take they they immediately take the party uh, captive as slaves and propose to sell them off at the market. The next day, I mean, they they we are exposed very quickly to the fact that uh, that just a short distance away from Narnia, they may claim to be part of the Narnian uh, the the Narnian Empire, but mm-hmm. the Narnian laws do not apply, and and the and the children. Oh have... oh, and I I'm sorry, but I love the scene when <laughs> uh, when Caspian kind of tricks them into uh, you know giving up the island yes. back back to the the throne. Because leave it to a 1950s British kind of conservative religious uh, <laughs> nationalist fellow to to take the uh, the idea of uh, what do I want to say kind of a, a democratic bureaucratic island and and uh, give it back to the crown in such a in such a fashion where you know the the what is, what is he called? The governor. The governor of the island is this very kind of weaselly bureaucrat. He says, well, I, I can't possibly do that not until the vote by the, the city council and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then the savior of the moment is the king, right? So the throne comes and takes back power. I just thought I, I, that was a lot of fun for me to, to picture Lewis um, just kind of crapping all over bureaucracy and <laughs> well and and he does it he does it in the form of of a king who is who is barely what he i think caspian's 15 or 16 at this point in time a, a couple of years has gone by since he was put on the throne and he was put on the throne as as still relatively a child it's yeah it's been three years and so he's probably almost 20 ish uh, it depends on uh, as as i recall he was he wasn't quite 17 when he left so um i i but but it is it is fascinating that here's this here's this relative child who outsmarts an entire <laughs> an entire bureaucratic government that has been surviving <laughs> for all this time. It these are the kinds of things that are written in children's stories that make the children smarter than all of the adults around them. Right. One of the things that I found interesting about this particular story is that we start talking about all of them together and then we abandon them all. We abandoned the Pevensies. We 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 abandoned Eustace. We abandoned all the rest of the party to follow Caspian and the treatment that he's receiving. 
and and the the lord that is has bought him says well you're getting treated much better than your compatriots are and mm-hmm. and we 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 don't hear anything about their treatment as slaves except to hear that they were miserable until they were brought out um and we but we hear all of this stuff about caspian plotting and putting all these things together and revealing himself to be the king um I, I, again it's a it's a very nice children's story it's incomplete in some of the other kinds of things that we might be looking for that we might be used to seeing in much more well-developed tales of this nature yeah yeah uh next island oh no wait but do we want to stick on this island and say like what what's the moral of the story slavery bad yeah. King, uh, uh, thrones good treat people no, good no human trafficking no no human tra- I feel like that's a decent yeah. lesson yeah so. I, I, if that's the only thing you take from this book it's worth reading <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay next island uh, Ryan do you want to take this one I don't remember the next island Is off it, the top of my head um, well the, the three lost isles are Felmath, Dorne and Avra are you freaking kidding me do you have this just like written down yeah right, there, the, right, uh, right there in front of me oh okay yeah <laughs> so uh, so what's the next one um well, Dorn and Avra were the, the two central, that's where all the people were, but Felmeth had the slavery. And then the next one is uh, Dragon Island, right? Yeah, I think so. So we go there and uh, Eustace sneaks off. He, he doesn't want to do any work. He's still, he's still bad Eustace at this point. Real quick, before bad we Eustace, go on. Bad Eustace. Th- so as they sail to Dragon Island, this is the one where like they barely make it by the skin of their teeth and they're all pretty hungry. By the time they get there, yes, right, yes, um, they the, the mast is broken and right, they had to go through a storm and all yep. that. I gotta say, um, it would take some serious balls to be <laughs> a sailor at this, you know, like before uh, technology and satellites and all this stuff. Oh yeah, where like you don't know for sure. You're exploring, and you're like, I have this much food, and then I will die. Yeah, like that is uh, that's pretty ballsy. Anyway, sorry. And in most oh. stories like that, the mast breaks, and you're like, "Oh, we are screwed." And usually, a cask or two of water break. Exactly. And you're like, yeah. "And now we've got a ration water too." And that happens as well. And he, uh, I, we'll, we'll talk about Eustace. I, I maybe there is a thing it. called fishing, <laughs> right? Water is a problem, but you but can, you can get fish. fish right? <laughs> you well, should be able to get fish. Do they? Mm-hmm. Oh right? no, it's 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 after. Okay, so they go to Dragon Island first, and that's where Eustace sneaks off. He finds the dragon's cave, uh, sleeps on the <clears> the big mound of dragon loot and uh finds the arm the arm bracelet of one of the uh seven, Tessian. one of the seven governors that they're that they're looking for not governors the uh the old great lords lords uh turns into a dragon figures out a way to talk to uh the crew the crew we'll call them the crew edmund and lucy that's who i was thinking of and caspian and um then aslan comes to him and basically baptizes him and and uh he becomes a good guy after that ish ish can that that's something i kind of want to ask is it might seem like i'm making a joke about it but it's not entirely a joke. like if you were turned into a dragon would you re- that really make you a better person or would you just be like this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> i i am already a better person well thanks homie yeah. i'm good maybe no maybe no, no his... Aslan, i can fly i can breathe fire I've got gold. <laughs> I don't see why we're going back on this. Okay? But his arm hurt. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he was, a, and, and this is the piece that's interesting. Uh, Lewis uses it to tell the story, to, to tell the, the conclusion or come to the conclusion that he is sad because he realizes he will be alone forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this idea of being alone for children is a, is a big deal. Um, and not just for children, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. It's, yeah. it's a big deal for adults too, but, but for children, it, it's a, you know, to, to have an idea that you will be abandoned by the people that you think you love or that you need, or, or even to just be ignored for the rest of your life. Um, this is, this is hugely, um, I- impactful to Eustace. And I think that that the, the case that he's making here is, it's not the turning into the dragon. Turning into the dragon is what happens when you're just when you do the things that dragons do. You will be a dragon. It's just a manifestation. The thing that makes him realize that it's a problem is when he realizes he is completely alone and that he probably I, there's there's a moment I can't remember what the what the words were and I didn't I I didn't mark it in my in my electronic copy and that's all I've got. 
um, where he said that he realized he probably would not be missed. And I think that that's where he starts mm. to have this change of, Pretty of heart. heartbreaking. Yeah. All of a sudden. So. Greed. The real backstory greed is bad. of every dragon. Well, well it probably it, starts it. Like, you can start that the concept of the, the trial is greed. Yeah. But that it's the realization of the importance of others, the importance of, of connection, of community, and yeah. things like that, that is the redemptive power to that. Which I guess you've. You really want to make that connection? You can say that that can be the antithesis to, um, to greed is getting going the other direction instead of right. coming into yourself. It's going out to others. And Eustace does that. They they do a they do a good job of indicating that even even while he is still a dragon, he begins to do things for the rest of the crew. He brings back food. He brings back the the tree that can be a perfect mast. He's yeah. uh, he allows them to sleep against his warm warm sides. So that they can all be uh, warm throughout the nights, um, all of these kinds of things. He he goes he goes very much from being very greedy to being very charitable, if you will. Mm. Uh, the semi charitable. Uh, yeah, ch- as charitable as you can get a kid to be at that age. Yeah, and, th- and this is the culmination of the two weeks at sea without water, without everything. Where he's trying to he, he he's trying to be woe is me, you know, my plight is worse than everybody else's. When it really isn't. Everybody is suffering. Nobody's got water. Nobody's eating. And he tries to sneak out, get water, and Reaper Cheap stops him. And he's basically, by the time we hit the island, he's realized that he's on the wrong side of mm-hmm. everything. And he, we get a look in his diary, which is, I think is fantastic because it gives a look from the air quote bad guys perspective, you know, or we always get the look from the good guys like Eustace is obviously, I mean, he's greedy, he's selfish, he's, he's a jerk, but you get to see it from Eustace's side where oh, none of them like me and none of them talk to me and boy, they're all stuck up and blah. It's like, you get the kind of counterpoint look, but clearly he's not meant to be the sympathetic figure here. So anybody here a Eustace when they were a teenager? Or, you know, preteen maybe is Officially? Eustace's age? At times, I'm sure. I, I, as, cause no. it, as I'm reading Eustace at this stage during the storm and all and the, the, the forced deprivation and all that, I was getting minor flashbacks to <laughs> when I was, you know, yeah. 11, 12, 13 years old. I was a pissed off little kid. Uh, you know, I was just, I was highly unpleasant to be around for quite a while. Anybody else that way? I think, I think every child has phases of that. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, but as far as, as far as prolonged periods of time, I think that, uh, for me, there was a, there was a year, um, when I was going through, when I was going through my teenage years, there was a year that I was probably more Eustace than I was ever an Edmund or a Lucy. Yeah. How old did you say you were? Uh, I'm, I'm old. Uh, Wait, then? You, you were like he's, 42. I'm no, I'm much older than 42. He's, no, no, no. What, that, at that point. <laughs> oh, at that point. No, I was much older. The joke than is now flat on its face. Let's he's, just he's like, yeah, this is, uh, this is not working out. Todd, he's old enough. I, I need you Eustace, to keep up. Eustace yeah, was an actual peer. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Back in the day. Right. I may have been the character with that he was drawing from That's when right. he decided to use this. What I the reason I bring this question up is you know whether any of us were had any Eustace in us was to bring up the idea of what brought about his change because in the story uh, he meets up with Aslan. Aslan says, "Follow me." He follows him. They go to a pool. He wants to jump in, and Aslan says, "You have to undress first, meaning you have to take off the dragony part," um, and thus begins the uh, if. If Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe had a clear allegory to the to Christianity uh, to, to the crucifixion of okay. Christ yes. and, and the resurrection of Christ, then in this case it is the repentance process as described in uh, most Christianity sure. Bible or the Book of John. You know, repent and be baptized. Right, that's right. Basically, what he's so you know. sure. Yeah, so so in this case, uh, that's that's what we're getting at in this story, and mm-hmm. and it's. Um, it's interesting to me that he doesn't just it, like Aslan doesn't just change him. We've already talked about he goes through a few days of um, of changing himself first, sure, right, becoming more of a team player, becoming more selfless uh, in in his actions toward those around him, and then Aslan comes. You know, once he's had some time for that to sink in, that lesson to sink in, then Aslan comes and says, "All right, time for the final bit." And so in Christianity, this idea is uh, it, that, that, it's, that true change only comes through 
Christ, right? And it's it's his grace that allows you to be a different person, a better person. I I find this concept really, really nice and also uh, applicable outside of uh, Christianity, I would say. I'd, I'd say, but it's obviously going to feel and sound very different because Christ doesn't enter in, into the picture for everybody. But do you think, because I do, do you think that people are capable of change and how do they change? How do you get up, how do you go about becoming less dragon and more post-dragon Eustace. Like, how does that, how does that change come about? I think that, and and I apologize if I'm dominating, but I'm seeing that you guys have got look on your face like, let me think a minute, so let me jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that begins with a moment of awareness uh, and something that sociologists call the sociological imagination, the ability to put yourself into the, into the shoes of another person and see life through their perspectives, especially their life as you impact it. And so you you exercise the ability to be able to see yourself through another person's eyes. Um, that's a very complex uh, process. There are, um, there are a lot of people who never approach that. And as a result, never perhaps move beyond the, the selfishness that is typified by Eustace. And, and obviously, in, in this particular case, C.S. Lewis is using these characters, especially as children, to be very clear foils, to be very, to be very clear and perfect examples of extremes. Um, I don't think any, any person is all of, you know, all bad or all sure. good or any yeah. of these things, but he's using these to, to, to very clearly illustrate the extremes of these characteristics. Um, but when you, you, when you have a moment of awareness and you can start seeing other people around you and see that their experiences are similar to yours and that your experiences are similar to theirs, that you're on, this, on a similar footing, that's where this change in, in, uh, in a person can begin to occur. I think um, this At is least gonna, that's one way to approach it. This is going to come from a little bit of, of personal belief also, but I think Edmund shows that it's important when, once you've started to kind of have that awareness that you want to change or something, it's important to have a, a structure around you that kind of supports that change, that yeah. kind of encourages that change. Edmund, in, in the story, you know, Eustace was talking about how awful he had been, and Eustace said, well, hey, I committed treason when I was here. So, yeah, you know, I'm. he, he, he tells him, you're not so bad. You know, everybody's bad, you know, and, and we're here for you now. So... And, and it's important if, if somebody wants to change, it's important to have somebody in your life who says, you know, this is a good change. This, this is what you want to do. I, I support what you're doing. Sure. You know, Ryan thoughts. Uh, this is a, this is a very big subject um, for me. Yeah. Um, do getting to the core of one of your questions. Do I believe people can change? Uh I would say that they have to be able to. We have to be able to change. Otherwise, there would be no purpose in us being able to make decisions other than the first decision we make. Um, your first decision, regardless, would be essentially setting a destined path. Like you, that you, right. Um, so, yes. And even then, it might not be your decision. It would be your parents and their parents and their parents, right? Right. You, you'd you become that. So, I I absolutely believe that people can change. Uh, the, the key kind of connects with a bit of what Todd was saying in the sense of, um, what is it that's motivating that change? What is it that makes you want to be different or to do things? Um, quite frankly, with, with the way that our decisions, the world around us exerts itself on us, we are constantly under the pressure of change. And it sometimes may be more work to be holding to the status quo than it is to um, to to making the changes. And sometimes that might be a good thing. Um, I think that's why... People look for things like um, religion and values and things like that so they can have firm things that they don't have to change. Well, and there's... there's Especially outside themselves. Out, yeah. Yes. It's an outside force that they can that they can hold to and say, these things are constants. Something these are constants. Constant. Yes. So that that way I can hold to these while I make other changes in my life and I can make other changes and, and make that work, which is why it also gets to be so incredibly crazy and when one of those constants or some or multiple portions of those end up breaking out of someone's life right um so that's when the time when it feels the hard it might be the hardest to change because there's no anchor for you to hold to while you're trying to make a change you're you're in the middle of a windstorm trying to figure out which way's north um that's that is really that was beautiful (laughs) that was beautiful ryan thank you 
it's a hard it's a hard thing to to have to to do but um sometimes you just pick a direction you go and then you figure out if you were right or not i'm gonna embroider that on a quilt for you thank you yeah Anyway. Make it a very warm quilt. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, you, did you, were you about to say something else? Uh, I was just going to say that one of the one of the well, things... what a foolish question, by the way. <laughs> Where's Todd going to say something? You, <laughs> you you throw me a meatball over the plate. I'm gonna swing. Um, one of the one of the other things that's that I think is interesting about this this process of transformation is that C.S. Lewis deals with um, again. It's very clearly a children's story, but this is really heavy level three stuff. And he deals with it at a, at, in a way that children can approach it, but also that adults can appreciate it. Um, I, I, I said at the very beginning, this isn't, my, this isn't necessarily my favorite book of all the books that we've read, but it doesn't mean that I don't see some really wonderful things in it that can be taken, that can be applied, that can be used. Um, but the, one, of the, one of the most powerful things, I think, in the entire process uh, was that C.S. Lewis said that Eustace changed mostly he or was he started he, he started the process yeah, yeah. and he was much better he still had relapses to the old eustace but we won't concern ourselves with those during the rest of this book and i and i find that at at once that is that is a really a, a beautiful statement for perhaps the way that we should handle people when they are trying to change um, i was i was shopping with uh, i was shopping with my wife and daughter the other day and we were seeing somebody who's a friend, a, a, a contemporary of my daughter's, and uh, this a person. A contemporary of my daughter's. Yes. Wow. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a name of a band at some point in time. I'm it's sure. No, it's no worse um, than a movie being competently made. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you, you you see people that are that are going through stuff, and, and this person was sorry. You this were person telling was. A story. This person was, and and is, and we. You know, as we as we work through that, we agree to just kind of let it be, and we say, you know, yep, you're going through stuff. We love you anyway. You're Let's being move so forward. Vague. So yes. vague, yes, uh, intentionally because I don't know if they're going to be listening to the podcast. Sure, sure, no, that's that's fine. Uh, <laughs> Come I wanted on, really? to bring up what the other thing about the the dragon Aslan scene that I thought was a key part of the story is that change, true change, is painful. Mm. Yes, uh, it's not. It's not going to be a pleasant process necessarily. So, for instance, if you are, uh, if you're kind of a, well, if you're a Eustace, so to say, uh, and you're you're really self-centered, and you, um, uh, you you put off the people around you, and you treat them horribly, et cetera, et cetera, and you begin to realize this and you think, oh, you know, I really ought to change. And so, you know, as Eustace does, he starts to um, do more and better things. Well, that's the pleasant part of the change. But then the unpleasant part comes. And in real life, it's not necessarily, you know, or it's not ever dragging, getting the dragon scales off of your body. What it is, is in that case, it might be going to people and saying, look, I'm really, really sorry. Yeah. And acknowledging to them that you have been, you know, a proper douche uh, <laughs> to them for however long it's been. And, and acknowledging in detail, I think, is is important saying, you know, I, I did this and that was not, you know, that was not right. Uh, I did this or that or the other. Acknowledging your faults, coming clean. Uh, and uh, what am I trying to say? Acknowledging to other people that you are trying to change. And that is a very embarrassing and painful thing to do. Well, and, and also acknowledging that you recognize that you were in the wrong. Right, right. Which we we all have a certain measure of pride that it's like I don't I don't feel like I was in the wrong. I wasn't. I wasn't. I totally what. All right, fine. I you know, and and we've all had those moments where it's like I am not looking forward to this meeting right here. But yeah, yeah. Time to just rip off the dragon scales and go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, rip off the dragon scales. There you go. There's your new Reddit flare, Ken. <laughs> Rip off the dragon scales. Hey, and there's one other thing that's probably worth mentioning. The person that spent the most, or the character that spent the most time with Eustace while he was in dragon form, Reepicheep. Oh, the same nice. individual that had the biggest problems with Eustace in the beginning, Reepicheep. 
So um, he's annoying, but he's a great guy. There's there's something to be said. There there I, I think C.S. Lewis is using Reapachip very clearly to say, and this is how we can be when people are trying to change. I, yeah. That's that's a piece that I really appreciate um, because a lot of times in fantasy literature, in, in movies, television, whatever, there's the change of heart that comes through the character that's done in solitude. It's them on their own going through the process or whatever. And while that's definitely like the change has to come from within that piece there, it's nice to know that you don't have to face it all alone and that dealing like having a reaper cheap or someone there that that is that that's okay i i i very much appreciate that that was in there yeah uh next island what's our next island the next move on uh, the next island is the burned island um i can't remember what it was called they don't stop there they just notice that there's a burned out town and uh, they speculate as to whether it was pirates or dragons, and okay. uh, and they continue. What's the next real island? Uh, it's uh, Goldwater Island. Death, uh, I think that's what they call it, Deathwater. Death they changed island. it named Deathwater after, but uh, Goldwater so is, initially. Is there anything to this? So, so the story of this one is they come up to an island, they see a there's a pool or something. Yes. And uh, there's a guy at the bottom, a statue at the bottom. Well, they find they find uh, clothes they, first, clothes and armor. Right. And say, oh, hey, what's this about? And, and so they, then they discover that this pool turns things into gold. Yeah. And it very nearly turned Caspian into gold. And uh, and he gets really uh, uh, dragonish himself, filled with greed, the he, lust of gold. Yeah. And then they turn around and leave and never go back. It's a really quick little stop. Yeah. Um. And is there anything to this island beyond um, don't be greedy? Well, they, in terms of the story, they find one of the seven lords there sure. in the bottom of the pool. Yeah. But other than that, it's, yeah, I mean, it's... I, did I not make myself clear, Ken? I don't care about the story here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but our, our tens of listeners might. Yeah, that's true. So. You know, uh, the, the interesting thing is you could take you, you as you're looking at the as you're looking at the islands, if you wanted to identify particular virtues or particular vices, um, greed is very clearly on this one. But jealousy could also be uh, this could be an envy. A, a yeah. part of the a part of the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as, you know, OK, well, are they spending time talking about two greedy islands? You know, one that was the, the Dragon Island being all about greed uh, it, it may not necessarily be about greed as much as it is about being self-centered. Well, that the that was what I was going to say about the Dragon Island. The Dragon Island was about being selfish. Yes. And then the, yeah. the Goldwater Island is about being greedy. Yeah. yeah. Which are discrete concepts, related but discrete. Yeah. One tends to be connected with the other fairly heavily. So. Yeah. Okay, so next island. So the next island is the island of the... Duffers. Duffel Puds? The Duffel Pods. <laughs> I love that name. So they decided I, upon the name Duffel Pods, and they're known by that this day. I'm gonna go with Duffel Puds. <laughs> uh, I really, I really liked this one. If this had been, uh, you know, a 30-page short story or something, yeah, I, I, I'd be, I'd love it all the same. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed this one. They come up to an island. Um, let me see if I get this right, because it's been at least eight hours since I read this. <laughs> They come up to an island, and there are things going on there. They think it might be mechanical or something. There are machines that seem to be working themselves, and then they are set upon by what seem to be invisible uh, mercenaries or bandits or something, something. And, and they are told that unless you do what we say, we'll kill you all. And so they, they have no choice, and the invisible bandits tell them that Lucy being the only little girl in the company, the only little girl little girl they have come across in years and years, she is tasked with going to the upstairs of the manor house and going to read out of the wizard's magic book to uh, reverse the spell that made them all invisible uh, yes. because they, were, they, they thought they were so ugly that they turned themselves invisible by finding a spell in the wizard's book. And she does this. And she turns them all visible again and has a nice chat with both Aslan and the wizard, and who it turns out is kind of the mayor of this island. And it turns out the invisible bandits were the one-legged mushroom people known as the Duffelpuds. Yes. Eventually. The mayor of Duffelpud. That's your new name. 
You're Duff, the male of Duffelpud. <laughs> Duff, Duff, Duffelpudlians, uh, we could call them. Anyway, and so that's, let's say, am I missing anything important on this one? That's, that's um, pretty much it. Lucy, there, there Lucy are a lot gets, of interesting conversations between Lucy and Aslan yeah, and Lucy she gets her and, the, and the wizard. So what sort of lessons are we dealing with on this one? Well, I think uh, insecurity, um, partially, and, and I think uh, being... Um, what am I looking content with your, with your own lot, which is, is hard. I mean, it's hard to actually say, that. I don't know. And that might be too simplistic, but she, she goes to the book and she, uh, wishes she was beautiful. Like Susan, she, uh, uh wants to know what her friends think of her. She, uh, looks at a couple of other incantations and, and is kind of like, Oh, I wish I were this. Oh, I wish I were that. I, and Aslan, 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 I don't know. Take your pick. It's not Aslan. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> I think that every that was time. A, that was one of Ken's favorite websites. I think. <laughs> Just want to make sure that there's drop the D Ken, drop the it's, D. <laughs> it, it's right. It's, it's right next to uh, Thor, <laughs> Thor's home in Asgard. So, <laughs> We're going to go with Ashlan from now on. So anyway. Anyway, so she has a heart-to-heart with him, and he tells her, you know, this, these things are not um, not appropriate. It's not the right. But there's nothing beneficial to, uh, to in a, gosh, I, I know words. I really do. There's nothing beneficial to. to I remain uh, unconvinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um to spying on your friends, to uh, to wishing you were somebody else, comparison, to, to comparing yourself to others, yeah, and yeah. So would this be our envy? Yeah, I think so. You can you can and it doesn't have to be jealousy necessarily. Like you can envy your your yourself in a way. You can envy yeah. your past self or your future sure. self. Or, you Matthew you know. McConaughey all of a sudden. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> there have um, to be three of those. Three of those. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, okay. thanks, thanks, Todd. <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for fixing my joke, buddy. Um, no, anyway, sorry. Go on. Where were we? We were in. Well, we last left off with Matthew McConaughey's Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my discussion. own hero. Ten, ten years from now, my hero's me. Ten years down the road. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out he was right. <laughs> uh, Seriously, I have no tra- idea. I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> total tangent. We're talking about realist. Andy. Now I've got this vision of Matthew McConaughey from uh, in- Interstellar, watching himself in Interstellar. We're like <laughs> just redoing that crying scene as he watches himself. Nice. Um, I particularly enjoy... <laughs> I particularly... It's happening to Craig! <laughs> Yay! We knew this um, day would come. Uh, what was that? Oh, I I especially enjoyed the part in where she's flipping through the book and she does she comes across the incantation that allows her to eavesdrop on her friends from yes. school, and so she watches them. They're riding a train together, and one of them says, "Oh, you like Lucy?" Ugh. And the other one's like, "Yeah, I know, totally." Um, That's exactly by the way, how these, it was written. Yeah, they they were in California. Uh-huh. It was the nineties, and obviously, right, totally. And anyway, so she's very offended that they're speaking of her this way. And uh, so Aslan later on says, why, why are you eavesdropping on that? You had no business doing that. And she says, well, yeah, but look what my friend said. And he says, well, you don't know why she said that. You don't know what she was yeah. thinking while yeah. she said that. You don't, you don't know anything. All you know is what she said. And uh, it turns out that, no, she really does like you, but she was intimidated by the other girl. She wanted to basically wanted to look cool in front of her other friend. Um, and, you know, and so she was too scared. And you know, it may, it may have been a mistake on her part, but it was a mistake of you to assume that you knew what was going on there. Yeah. Uh, I really liked that lesson. That, that one stuck out to me. Uh, what about you guys? Any others from the book or anything else on the uh, Liverpudlian Island or whatever it's called? <laughs> Duffelpuds. That, Liverpudlian? Those were the Beatles. The Lilliputian <laughs> Island. Not the Duffelpods. Um, I, one of the things that I found interesting about, the, uh, about this little vignette is that once she had looked at a spell and gone past it, she couldn't go back. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I think there is, there is something to be said for... Uh, Convenience in storytelling? 
<laughs> uh, well, certainly. Um, what else are you going to do with a children's story? Um, you're not going to give them all the all the wherewithal. But there's 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 a lesson for there's a lesson for us in in saying you know what. Sometimes we we spend a lot of time looking looking back at things and trying to go backwards and say, oh, I need to do no 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 no, just keep moving forward, just keep moving forward. Um, and at least from my standpoint, that was that was one of the lessons that I took from as I was as I was reading through that. Oh yeah, once you've gone past a point, go forward. Don't worry about going back. Don't worry about trying to trying to uh, trying to uh, examine or or dissect that piece. And figure everything out. What you can do is you can influence things moving forward. So just keep moving forward and, and stop worrying about the past. Thanks, Walt. And does that mean we should move on to the next island? Not necessarily. Uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to say about the hopping mushrooms? No. I, don't th- I thought they were weird. I'm kind of curious why you're saying they're mushrooms. It, well, because that's how they're described. They're they're monopods with like an umbrella type thing on there. Yeah, they're dwarves though. <laughs> right, they're formerly they dwarves. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I, that's just I. I didn't. I uh, the visual, yes, of the mushroom cap. They're, with they're the very, thing. they're very clearly described as mushrooms. Well, and mushroom like at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. That's, Come on. Uh, yeah. I'm. 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 On, I. I am you, recanting my previous statement. Edit, I win. Delete. Yes. This never happens. There um, you go. All right. Anything else about the not mushroom dwarves? Got nothing. Okay. Good. Next island. Uh, next island is Dark Island, it, which isn't really an island. More. Is it oh, a, this was kind of terrifying yeah. this is creepy more of a more of a uh, glob of mist that you have to go through and, and they like they pick up one of the one of the old lords yes lord roop and he comes aboard the ship ranting and raving about uh, how this is the island where dreams come true i love this part says <laughs> this is the island where dreams come true and all the sailors are going sweet this is awesome and he goes no, no no lucy and edmund and, and, and no 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 not this not the island where daydreams come true the yeah. island where dreams, where dreams come, true. come true, and when they all realize that, they just turn around and get the f- out of there. They, <laughs> they are the yep. peace out. I am done, and I gotta say, I can sympathize with that statement because you guys know we we have a Facebook chat set up, uh, and and so we we all communicate <laughs> offline. And every once in a while, I'll send you guys a message where I have some pretty bizarre dreams. Yes, I I have I have extremely vivid dreams, and I'm trying to remember what was the last one that I sent you guys. It was just this week. Um, I'll have to go look it up. But anyway, I just want to let you know, as a as a as a student of psychology, your dreams are interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. It was the one where, uh, so the, at, at the company I work for, um, uh, Emperor Palpatine invited me into his office and uh, and asked me to become the <laughs> diversities are for our company <laughs> focusing especially on uh on making a more inclusive um environment for uh for uh the lgbt community within the company and i was and i was i in the dream i was taking this extremely seriously as you would if uh if, if the emperor, emperor, emperor palpatine, palpatine had told asked you, you to, to. Do it. yeah just bizarre stuff anyway stuff like that where it's like Okay, so that that's kind of a funny one, but I also about ten years ago I had a dream where my mom turned into a demon and ate my dad and also Craig T. Nelson, and <laughs> uh, and then came. I'm not kidding. That's Is that fu- who you're named for? No, he, no. He ate coach. <laughs> she ate you coach. You can't eat coach. And and then she was coming after me. I was scared. Well, I can't say that word. I was scared uh, to death. Pantsless. Yeah. Um. And I, I woke up, I woke up choking myself and like trying to scream. It was so intense. Wow. Anyway, so all that to just say the idea of an island where dreams come true. I am piecing out of there so fast. <laughs> there, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, yeah. That's... I have some, I have some very violent and weird dreams. Yes, it would matter on your level of control if it's just whatever dream there. Because yeah, I've got a few that are along those lines yeah. too. Of like, I have a recurring one of the T Rex that chases me back to my old house in West Bountiful. Really. And... I have to go hide in my toy room because it can't get through the window. It's, <laughs> yeah, because it has a big head and I little feel like arms. We're having we're having a bit of a session here. This is this is turning into a lot more of a psychology do psychotherapy. We, do we need to pull out the ink blots and ask about our mothers? <laughs> it it made me immediately think of sphere. Oh, oh yeah, where yeah. Dream, dreams come true. Yep. Yeah, sure. And especially because in in 
it was it, it, there was a, quick, there was a quick moment where, plug. If you haven't read Sphere, go read it and then listen to our old episode on Sphere. Yeah, Heroes that's a fantastic sci-fi. book, wonderful book. Um, there there's a moment where um, where C.S. Lewis says, and quite unbidden, Lucy's nightmare, Lucy's greatest nightmare, started to uh, came back to her memory, and that's when she sees or hears things starting to move around and. This this idea that it's about the control of our thoughts. I, that was the piece that I would again. If we're if we're looking at the the virtues or the or the vices, it's about controlling thoughts. And most of uh, it it's it seems like for most of our lives, we do a pretty good job controlling our thoughts when we're awake. It's when we're asleep that uh, our fears manifest themselves a little bit more rampant than we would otherwise want to want them to do. That's not what Disney says. A dream is a wish your heart makes. Todd. I was thinking the yeah. same song. Did you know, don't you know anything? I was thinking the same song. And a dream is a wish my heart makes, and my heart is f***ed up. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's why Walt created Disneyland, and why C.S. Lewis never created Narnia Land. <laughs> Narnia Land. Oh, we should have a Narnia Land. No, it can be right next door to. There's Tolkien a few Land. in the. There's a few in the Bible Belt that are pretty close. <laughs> oh my gosh, have you ever been to Dollywood? No. Oh. Yeah, white Le- w- white witch territory. Legend- legendarium field trip to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. People, uh, so that's a place. That's where Dollywood is. Next island. Uh, so, well, okay, really quick. This the, this island uh, leads to Lucy actually praying. You know, an actual prayer, right? To Aslan to uh, help them escape. If they, if you know, he'd ever loved us before, and light comes down, leads them out. Yay, we're saved. Power of prayer. Good. And we go on to Ramandu's Island. We got to hurry through Ramandu's Island. We only got five more minutes. Ramandu's Island where they find the uh, last three guys. They all fell asleep seven years ago, and now they're hairy and asleep. And <laughs> there's a, a food regenerating table there, and there's the, the, the knife that uh, was used to sacrifice Aslan in the very beginning to uh, save Edmund. And there's um, Prince Caspian's future wife and uh, the embodiment of a dead star. And we're almost to the end of the world. This is the beginning of the end of the world, I think is what they say. And yay, um, Gluttony Island. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so then they move on toward the end of the world. Yes. And I got to say, this, this bit of the story, when they, when they leave Ramandu's Island... And sail. They're going east. Is that right? East. Yeah. They're, so they're they're sailing east, and between there and when they get to Aslan's country at the end of the world, yeah. This is a bit like Sam and Frodo getting into Mordor and then going to Mount Doom because it's like you're there, and then it takes you a billion years to get there. 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 Yeah. Uh, I was so tired and it probably honestly it only lasted like five pages but I was so tired of sailing through all this garbage and learning about sea people and learning about lilies and like right. I don't care but did you this was the only the part <laughs> this is the only part of the story where I just kind of started getting fed up <laughs> uh, luckily it was right at the very end right but, so what what happens at the end of the world Ken okay so um <sighs> The, our our uh, heroes and Reepicheep take the small boat. They go through a uh, water wall into, right. into Aslan's Asland. Into Asland. <laughs> so, Good. Gordon. You can, did it again. Go into, you did it well, again. But this time it pertains because they go into Aslan's territory, into his home. Um, his territory? <laughs> what has, he been, has he been peeing all they over go, it? They go into his turf. I believe the correct pronunciation would be Aslan's land. Aslan's <laughs> land. Anyway, um, yeah, because it like it's a section in IKEA, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's weird loops and anyway. Well, admittedly, um, most of Narnia stuff sounds like it's been in, through an IKEA <laughs> shop, right? <laughs> right. Uh, leaving leaving Ramadu's island, they were told that four can go and one will have to stay. And Reepicheep is all ready to jump on that because uh, he's been he's been jonesing to get to to Aslan's um, territory. Aslan's land, excuse me, and stay there forever because that's the promised land, right? That's heaven. And uh, so they go, they find a sheep that turns into a lion. There's got to be an allegory in there somewhere. Well, Hmm. the lamb 
that one wasn't a little on the nose for you, Ken? It's or, not. Was a, it was it a bit an, opaque for it's, you? It's not an allegory. It's a metaphor. Metaphor. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's not a metaphor. It's ripped directly out of Christian literature. But th- <laughs> thanks for explaining my joke, Craig. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, so anyway, Ripcheap he goes. Um, Aslan tells them that uh, Edmund and Lucy aren't going to be coming back. Uh, same way that Peter and Susan weren't coming back the last time. But Eustace still has work to do. So uh, we'll see him again. Caspian and the uh, Telmarine Narnians all sail back. And he marries Stargirl and lives happy the ever after. And uh, book over. Yeah. And boy, did this book just end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all of these do. Every single one of these books just goes, uh, we're done. I, I feel like there's. This one literally had a one paragraph ending. Yeah, there they were right in the middle of their conversation with Aslan, and then C.S. Lewis writes one more paragraph and says, "Ah, yeah, I guess I pencils should, down. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I should much. probably tell you." Uh, so yeah, they sail back. He gets married. Eustace was a little bit better after that. Uh, uh, okay, now the end. Now the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> I'll what, come back and write no, the next. No, chapter. seriously, pencils down. I said pencils down. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's the end of the so, book. Anyway, yeah, book over. <clears throat> uh, there's a ton that we could spend time unpacking in that final conversation with Aslan, but... Uh, <laughs> there's one quote that I did pull from that area yeah. that I did, like, because we can talk about how it pertains in Christianity and things like that, but it also, I think, fits a lot in what we try and do with fantasy literature. Ooh, nice. I like where you're going. Um, and it's when Lucy, when they realize that they're not coming back and... Uh, Lucy, it starts out. It isn't. It isn't Narnia, you know. Sobbed Lucy. It, it's you. We shan't meet you there. And how can we live never meeting you? But you shall meet me, dear one. Said oh, yeah. Aslan. Are Are you there too, sir? Said Edmund. I am. But there I have another name, and you must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason why you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. And so, yes. Ooh, nice. Uh, yeah, like yeah. where you're going. Yeah. Christian, yes, they they will know him as Jesus in our world. That's fine. I'm jumping to, for us in fantasy literature, we may learn concepts and things in our literature so that we can better understand them in reality and apply them in yep. reality. Um, nice. So even, you know, there is something there for atheists and, and Christian alike and as... As fantasy lovers, this is this is at the core of why I love fantasy. Agreed. Because I relate so much and I connect so much with characters and with concepts inside of these books that help me to deal with the rest of the world and the rest of the things that I that I have in my life and, and the people around me. And even though they are extraordinary circumstances most of the time, there is something there that I can that I can do to better my life and the life of those around me by knowing. That's good. That's really good. Very nice. I I I had another note, but I don't really want to follow that. Anybody else? No. Yeah. Uh, let's call it there then. Ryan, you're a showstopper. No, oh, <laughs> he just dropped the mic. You can't drop okay, the mic. Wait, if you're gonna drop the mic, then we're gonna talk. <laughs> <laughs> our our patrons paid good money for that mic. That's well. That's why it's suspended. That's why. That's why it's lower the attached. Mic. It's attached to a boom arm for a reason. You cannot drop it. It loses uh, its. You know, it loses its impact and power if it's like mic lowered by four inches. <laughs> Maybe it was nervous. Yeah. Uh, let's let's cut and run. Um, yeah. Thank you. Everybody. Great note. And now we're talking about flash microphones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want One to five s- microphones, man. We have we have two decent microphones and two old crappy ones, and so if you want to help us get uh, four decent microphones, go to Patreon.com/legendarium and please support the show. Um, I am nearly done constructing the new studio, which means I am nearly broke, which is fantastic. It's uh, a beautiful studio, but it's uh, it's very cool so far. So uh, any any help you can throw our way, Patreon.com/legendarium will be greatly, greatly appreciated, especially by my wife, uh, who, who keeps the books. So, uh, anyway, I... No wonder she growls at us when we come in. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, okay. Oh, and uh, thelegendarium.reddit.com. We'll see you all there, and we'll see you next week. We're doing part three of Oathbringer. Mm-hmm. 
so the, well, I, sh I should say we're, 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 we're reading third part five. It's our third installment, part five, the conclusion of Oathbringer, and then uh, in two weeks. So the week after that will be when we pick up back with Narnia again, I think. The Silver Chair. The Silver Chair. I, we need to get to, uh, we've got Ready Player One and the Black Panther and some other stuff, I think, to talk about. So that'll be in there somewhere. You can look forward to those. But anyway, yes, up next, the Silver Chair at some point. And we will see you all then. Thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, have a great week.